This is a podcast by the Business Times. Welcome to Podcasts by the Business Times. I'm your host, correspondent Howie Lim. And this is the second in a four-part special with my colleague, senior correspondent Leslie Yi, about his column, The Level Ground, and all things property as well. He recently wrote in the Business Times that the Housing and Development Board's prime location public housing model, excluding singles from buying these PLH flats in the resale market, is further reducing their bite of subsidized housing. Minister for National Development Desmond Lee, though, doesn't feel that this move is a step backwards. What about the PLH model on the whole? How far will it go to engender inclusivity and diversify wealth in prime locations? And is there an investment case for these flats, given there are so many more restrictions in place, like longer minimum occupation periods or MOPs? We'll get these answers to these questions, Leslie's thoughts behind his assertions, and also comments from various property analysts as well. Thanks for joining me today, Leslie. Thank you, Howie. Happy to be on the show. So from a social perspective, yes, it does look like singles are being left out of the affordable prime location public housing. But in your view, how detrimental is their exclusion from an economic perspective? Excluding singles from buying resale prime location public housing, or PLH flats, has no detrimental effect in the near term. The first PLH flats at Rocho will only be completed in about six years' time. From an economic perspective, Excluding singles, among others, from buying resale PLH flats will dampen resale prices of such flats. Singles looking to own HDB flats in city areas will have to look elsewhere to satisfy their needs. Being able to meet housing needs is a big challenge in many major cities. Cities that do this well have an economic advantage in attracting talent. There are many qualified, talented, economically productive singles in our midst. The big picture question is this. Singles may want to own their own home for mental well-being and financial security. If they find it difficult to do so in Singapore, perhaps singles may choose to work elsewhere instead. Ku Sui Yong as well, Chief Investment Officer for Casa Singapore, Leslie has some really strong views about the PLH model, pointing out concerns he has with the very objectives of the scheme, which are supposed to be inclusivity, affordability, and encouraging families to grow. I have three points to make about singles not being included in the PLH scheme. Firstly, the proportion of singles are rising in three different areas. The most obvious categories of singles are the young and unmarried. So the yuppies, perhaps, confirmed by the fact that median age of the first marriage is actually increasing. But then as our society ages Another fast-rising category of singles is that of widows. Widows, these are mostly retirees and senior citizens. In addition, due to the changes in our lifestyle and societal values, we are probably also seeing more singles who come from divorces, who have yet to remarry. So the profile of singles is no longer what it used to be, that they are yuppies, young single income with high-flying careers. In fact, a significant number of retirees, middle-aged people, divorcees. So we got to keep that in mind when we speak about singles. Secondly, I understand that public housing policies, of course, would like to prioritise married couples, encouraging family growth, childbirth. But Singapore is already hitting a plateau at 90% home ownership rate and 80% of resident households are already living and owning HDB flats. 
Yet, our scorecard for birth rates has continued to be poor in the last 15 to 20 years. So, public housing cash incentives are already provided. Birth rates are still going down. So, this long-held notion that providing new public housing to married couples will nurture family growth, I think we have got to relook this notion. Is probably now has become irrelevant or it has become a misconception. If really we would like to use housing to encourage the birth of babies, HDB might consider a more draconian measure of confiscating HDB flats from couples who, let's say, do not produce two children within the MOP period. On my third point, is about the exclusivity and the creation of wealthy HDB enclaves. The current PLH model as it stands, even with the restrictions put in place, actually does not foster inclusivity with respect to excluding singles from applying. Secondly, the higher prices, even with the higher grants, they exclude some segments of our society. And in the recent years, we have actually sufficient evidence from such millionaire HDB enclaves, for example, Dawson, Tanjong Paga, Boon King, Yong Maru. So three factors mentioned, the changing profile of what used to be known as singles, the misconception that providing HDB flats to young couples will bring us more babies, as well as in 15 years' time, we will be seeing more exclusive millionaire HDB enclaves. I think let's relook at the PLH scheme. So Leslie, what do you make of his comments? The need to redefine singles, for example, that more draconian measure he was suggesting that if couples don't have children after purchasing a PLH model flat, they should give it back. And those millionaire HDB enclaves, since the model's supposed to prevent further concentration of wealth in prime locations. Suyong's points are interesting, if somewhat controversial. On the first point, Singles are a diverse group, a large group, and a growing group. 75% of residents aged 25 to 29 are single, as are 15% of those aged 45 to 49. Given the sizable proportion of residents who are single, their housing needs matter. This is a key reason why I argue that when it comes to HDB flats for singles, let's continue to see how we can take things forward. On Sui Young's second point, the statistics do suggest that the public housing policy which favours marriage is not giving Singapore a big bump up in the number of babies. Certainly, increasing the birth rate is not easy. Many other developed countries face problems of low birth rates too. Public housing policies can only be part of the solution. Flats that are bought from HDB are subsidised. Should we penalise those couples who do not have children? I'd rather policy be generous. Subsidised resources have to be used carefully. But housing is a key need. Let subsidised housing be enjoyed by couples with children, couples without children, singles, divorced people. As to millionaire HDB enclaves, I am not sure what our founding fathers would make of this. Should we cheer that public housing is so desirable that people are willing to pay a million or more for some of these flats. The PLH model is trying to prevent more millionaire HDB enclaves from emerging, restricting resale PLH units to those with monthly household income of 14000 or less, as opposed to other resale HDB flats where income ceiling does not apply, can help prevent the growth of new wealthy HDB enclaves. Some couples with lower income but rich parents, as well as older retired persons with large investment portfolios, may bid up resale PLH flat prices. But without applying the income ceiling and other restrictions, the situation 
could be much worse. So Leslie, earlier you mentioned that the PLH model may serve to dampen prices of HDB. So you don't think that this model will go to jacking up the prices of, say, resale flats elsewhere? The simple fact is, resale HDB flats are much cheaper than private condo units. You may have to pay over a million dollars for a resale unit at Pinnacle at Duxton in Tanjong Paga, but this would be less than half the price of a similarly sized resale condo unit in the area. Those ineligible to buy resale PLH flats, such as permanent residents, singles, citizen couples with monthly household income over 14,000 who desire a HDB resale unit around the city area, would have to look at resale flats such as those at Pinnacle, Dawson, Chongbaru. Invariably, such flats will receive a boost in prices. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the Business Times podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. And now back to our conversation with Leslie Yee, Senior Correspondent for the Business Times on the new PLH model and the fact that singles have been excluded from it. Here are comments, though, from Christine Sun, Senior Vice President of Research and Analytics at Orange Tea and Thai. Whether these PLH flats are good investments, buyers will need to take certain factors into consideration. The PLH model or prime location public housing model is a very new concept. We know that in most property investments, location plays a very significant role in determining the demand and price appreciation. Therefore, the PLH flats by nature are already situated in very good locations. Just like the new flats in Rocher, it is built just outside the CBD and the development itself is integrated with an MRT station, retail shops, eateries and community facilities. Similarly, for the new flats in the greater southern waterfront, the location is actually superb given its proximity to downtown core, the sea views, shopping malls and the place will be undergoing major redevelopment under the new master plan. Therefore, the centralised location may provide a very good long-term price appreciation even with the selling restrictions and longer MOP. Take Rocher as an example. The resale condo in Rocher is transacting at about 1,005 to 1,006 per square foot this year. And for a 900 square feet unit, which is equivalent to a foreign flat, a resale condo may cost about 1.5 to 1.7 million dollars. To buy a new condo in the vicinity, say District 7, the same size can cost more than 2.4 million dollars. Therefore, the significant price gap will give sufficient buffer for the PLH flats to appreciate in future. A four-room flat which can be sold conservatively for $1.2 million in 17 years' time, after taking into account the construction and MOP period, I think you can still enjoy a gross profit of at least five hundred to 600000 after factoring in the 6% subsidy recovery. And this is actually quite on par with the profit margin of resale flats in some mature estates or popular locations. That said, buyers need to be aware that the number of flats offered under a PLH model is actually not big as they may only launch one project per year. And competition is actually very steep. Even if you look at Rocher, it is 10.3 times oversubscribed in the last BTO exercise. Therefore, being able to successfully ballot for a PLH flat is really not easy. So Leslie, it looks like Christine feels there's an investment case for PLH model flats, despite the restrictions. Based on location only though. If you are among the lucky ones to get a Rocher four-room PLH unit, say at 630000 to expect that flat, which is bought at a subsidised price, to appreciate at a compound annual growth rate 
of around 3.9% to reach 1.2 million in 17 years' time is not unreasonable. I certainly agree with Christine that the PLH flats at Rocho have an investment value even after paying back 6% of resale proceeds. The lucky first-time owners of these units will enjoy the convenience and vibrancy of city living while getting a pot of gold. The returns can be larger if there were fewer restrictions on who can buy in the resale market and if there was no clawback of 6% of proceeds. But still, there are likely very substantial capital gains available. Yeah, Christine said that too, that it's not easy to successfully bid for that PLH flat, especially in these prime locations, right? Also, Wong Xianyang, head of research Singapore Cushman Wakefield, has a deferring view. He seems to disagree. From an investment standpoint, PLH flats may not be optimal. The model is geared towards mitigating windfalls and carries multiple restrictions that discourage flipping. I mean, no doubt the locations would be fantastic and without the restrictions, demand would be very high. However, the impact on the restrictions on resale prices is untested. The long MOP period of 10 years removes a lot of flexibility, which is important from an investment point of view, given market cycles and also potential policy risk. So there will be opportunity costs as you will not be able to buy another property or upgrade within the 10-year MOP. Market risk is also higher due to the subsidy clawback and resale restrictions such as the long MOP and income ceiling for resale buyers, which would limit demand and prices. A household comprising of only Singapore permanent residents would be unable to buy a PLH, so that takes away a part of potential demand. I don't think PLH buyers would be in a loss-making position at the end of 10 years, but with so many restrictions and uncertainties, gains may not materialize as expected. And looking at current HB resale prices at Pongo, one may be better off going for a well-located BTO project in an up-and-coming non-matured estate. Which analysis, Leslie, makes more sense to you? Howie, you have put me in the spot. <laughs> Still, I will be brave and answer the question as posed. No offence to bias of Rocho PLH units and Christine, but I agree with Xian Yang that PLH flats may not be optimal from an investment standpoint. Investors do not like to be locked in. So a 10-year minimum occupancy period is a negative. Perhaps it deprives one of catching a good window of opportunity to buy a private unit or selling out to raise funds to pursue an exciting business investment. Also, with the PLH units, the pool of liquidity for resale units is reduced as there's a smaller pool of potential buyers, so it may take longer to divest a unit. Xianyang makes an interesting point on banking on an up-and-coming non-mature estate such as Pongo. Certainly, some estates can re-rate over time. With a new MRT station opening, a primary school that becomes more highly sought after, better healthcare facilities, new offices or a new mall, a less desirable estate can over time become desirable. So potentially, percentage gains can be larger for someone getting a BTO unit in a non-mature estate that re-rates substantially versus someone buying in a mature estate or the city centre. Leslie, on the whole, what do you make of the PLH model and the objectives it wants to achieve? And why highlight the plight of singles as well? You're not single. Uh, no, I'm not, Howie. But the fact is, there are many singles amongst us, so their plight matters. Singles do make vital contributions to our community as caregivers to family members, taxpayers, volunteers, 
many look to the public housing market to satisfy the housing needs. Let's help them in the housing journeys. Give them more options. Singles are a diverse and important group that we need to take into account when building social cohesion and an inclusive society. The PLH model, on balance, is good. I strongly support efforts to build more public housing in prime areas. Diversity does not just add social benefits. It contributes to having vibrant and interesting neighbourhoods. The other key reason I endorse the PLH model is that it places greater emphasis on providing affordable, high-quality homes for living rather than for investing. I think I'll echo your sentiments from earlier, Leslie. We'll just have to wait and see. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Howie, and the various industry experts who gave their inputs. I enjoyed the discussion. We've been discussing the singles exclusion from the new PLH model and its investment viability with my colleague, Leslie Yee. And that's a wrap for this podcast by The Business Times. And don't forget to subscribe to The Business Times podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. That was an SBH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.